Welcome to those of you who are online. You're also part of the family, uh, even if we can't see you at the moment. I'm glad to have you here with us, and we are going to continue in worship. Um, so this, this is continuing worship as we open the scriptures, as we pray, and so on. Um, we're going to start with our call to worship. If Lionel, you wouldn't mind putting that up on the screen. That's right. So before the call to worship, this is how God greets you. Receive it as him speaking to you. To those called and loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be yours more and more. And so here's the part that you get to read as well. This is from Malachi. From the place where the sun rises to the place where it sets, all people will offer worship and love to our God. Amen. And let's say the Apostles' Creed together. It's been a while since we have done this. These are some of the core things that we say, whatever else there may be a difference of opinion on in this room, There's no difference of opinion on these. And it's one of the reasons that we do it. So let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what jumped out to me as we said the Apostles' Creed is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. What an amazing thing that following the resurrection You ascended, Jesus, to return to be with the Father. You sent your spirit when you returned to the Father. You're seated there and all authority has been given to you. You are the judge. You are the one who is in control. There is nothing that disturbs you or surprises you. You are over all things. An amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you that we get to worship the Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that everything is under your control, that you are in charge. Lord, there are times where our lives feel like 
something isn't right. And yet at the same time, we can cling to the fact that Jesus is in charge and he is not unaware of what is happening, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's happening on Ross Street or in Deer Park or Normando. Thank you. Thank you that we can place our trust in you. Because if it's there, like the psalmist says, though the mountains fall and the earth gives way, you'll still be in charge. And so we come to you as the God who is in charge because there are people in our lives and people we are aware of who need the attention of the God who is in charge, the one seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, would you pay special attention to those going for doctor's appointments in the coming weeks because there are big questions about their health. Lord, would you please give your attention to Ukraine and to our brothers and sisters in Poland who are taking in refugees and trying to support them? Would you give your attention to those who are bringing refugees here? Would you guide them as they try to integrate into a new society and learn a language that's foreign? Would you bring people alongside them who will welcome them and guide them through the process? Lord, would you give us a heart for people who have been displaced? And may we point them back to the God who is in charge. Lord, we want to be people who worship you in the promised land and in the desert because you're the God in both places. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have let our yeah, but cancel out the fact that you are in charge. We start to place our trust in ourselves instead. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for doubts. Forgive us for limiting you or questioning whether or not you care. May the cross have the final word over that. Thank you that we see in Jesus the God who cares enough to die for his people. Lord, would you teach us how to enter into that trusting relationship in a way that is childlike, in a way that honors you for who you are, and at the same time does not discount the real and difficult pain that people go through, including ourselves. Would you teach us how to navigate this with our eyes fixed firmly on Jesus? the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured more than we are going through. He scorned the 
shame of the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So therefore, he can be trusted. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we open your scriptures now, would you awaken us to your word, to your voice, to your presence? May you apply your voice, your word to us. Lord, many people will often pray for illumination. Would you illumine our minds and our hearts? We don't want to respond simply cognitively. We want to be people who give you everything. To lay heart, soul, mind, and strength on the altar. Be the living sacrifice. So Lord, would you have your way in this time? In Jesus' name, amen. Now what? What if someone newly married took you out for coffee and said, I just got married, now what? What would you say? I just got married, now what? What do I do? What do I do? What would you say? This is rhetorical, you don't have to call it out and I'm not breaking up into small groups for the sake of time. But I ask you to entertain that question. If someone sat down in front of you, newly married, younger than you, and they said, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me, help me to be the good spouse that I want to be. What would your answer be? It's the now what? If your answer to that question is, well, uh, like a whole list of rules, like, well, you have to make sure you don't have an affair. That's, that's rule number one. You have to make sure that you don't have a, an affair. And rule number two is that you, you have to go out and get a higher paying job so that you can, you can meet this particular standard so that you can ensure that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or um, here's, here's another, another rule. It's got to be that you will never, uh, you, every, every Friday night, you will have a date night. That's the new law. If you respond in those ways, what will you turn that relationship into? You'll destroy it, right? You'll turn it into a contract where this relationship is now based on rules rather than on the things that actually build a relationship. Rules don't build a relationship, do they? Do they? If we have to fall back on rules, to make sure that our marriages are healthy, we're in real trouble, aren't we? This just does not seem to be landing. Is, is this helping people? Okay, I need a few more nods because otherwise, maybe it's the lighting in here. I don't know what's going on. Our, our marriages, our friendships are not based on rules, right? And if we go down that route, we will undermine the very things that hold a relationship together, right? 
The problem is that when we say, we, we somehow treat the answer to that question, now what? I just got married, now what? We somehow treat the answer to that question differently than if someone sits down in front of you and says, I just met Jesus and gave my life to him. Now what? Do you see the disconnect between the way that we operate in a church so often versus the conversation that you would have with someone that just got married? Do you see the disconnect there? Because we base all of it on rules so often. I just met Jesus. Here's what, I ne- here's what you now have to do as someone who just met Jesus. You better follow this rule and that rule. You better be here every Sunday. You better tithe. You better not have an affair. You better not, like all of these things. This is now what you must do to grow as a Christian is follow all of these rules. Why do we do this? Is it not a marriage? Have we not entered into a covenantal relationship with Jesus? So would it not be the same way that we would, as in a marriage, that we would go about fostering a relationship with Jesus as we would in a marriage? What are the things that are necessary for a relationship and a marriage or a friendship, use a different analogy, to grow? Rules don't even come into it. Rituals and routines don't even come into it. How do you foster a relationship? Every relationship starts with one thing. Trust. There's no relationship, or at least no healthy relationship, if there is no trust. Right? That's what Paul is going to outline in our passage here. He's going to say, you foolish people have gone back to rules to try to make a marriage work. And he says, it's a marriage. It, the, it starts and it continues with trust. Now, Paul, and in our, our translations here, they're going to use the word faith. There's no difference between faith and trust. Right? So faith, trust, believe, um, these are three different ways of rendering the same word in Greek. I prefer to use the word trust because it sounds to my ears more relational. Faith doesn't always sound so relational, but it's a relational word and it's a relational concept that Paul is driving home here in this passage. So I'm actually, as I read it, I'm going to substitute the word trust and trusting and trusted and that kind of thing for faith. If you really like faith, go for it so long as you understand that what he means by this is a relational term. Okay? So would you go with me to Galatians chapter 3? We're going to start at verse 6. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 5. Paul says, Does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, by keeping the rules? Or by trusting, believing, trusting what you heard. And then he's going to prove that point by going to the very founder of the faith, Abraham. And he says, so uh, 
Are you doing this because you trusted what you heard? Just as Abraham believed, Abraham trusted God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So you see that those who trust are the descendants of Abraham, the true people of God, the people who have come you know, through the line of Abraham. So the true people of God are the people who like Abraham trust. Verse eight, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by trust declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. Remember that promise in, in Genesis chapter 12, where he calls Abraham and he says to him up front, before you've even done anything, I'm going to bless everyone through you. And Paul says, that's the gospel right here. And Paul's going to flesh out what that gospel means for these particular people once they trust. All the Gentiles are going to be blessed in you. Verse nine, for this reason, those who believe, those who trust are blessed with Abraham, the one who trusted. For all who rely on the rules, the works of the law, are under a curse. For it's written, and this is going to be key. I'm going to come back to this. Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the things written in the book of the law. Now, it's evident that no one is justified by God, before God, by the law. For, quote, the one who is righteous will live by faith. So he's quoting another scripture. But the law does not rest on faith, on trust. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. He's, he's drawing a distinction between um, the way that you live and whether or not you keep the rules versus trust. And you, it's either you trust it, it's either you just simply trust God for the relationship or you have to keep every single one of the rules. That's what he's saying here. Verse 12, but the law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, again, he quotes scripture, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Make sure you hear that that's us. So that the blessing of Abraham might come to every single person in this room. And what's the purpose of that? And what is that blessing of Abraham? So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by trusting God. This is the word of the Lord. Man, we're out of practice. Ooh, this is the word of the Lord. Slightly better. Okay. If you follow the rules, the law, as, as Paul describes it here, it actually puts you under a curse. Not if you keep the rules, but if you have decided that in order to be right with God, in order to make this marriage work, I must keep the rules. If you start to put your trust in your own keeping of the rules, you have, will have set yourself apart from grace because it's no longer you are saved by grace. It is now I am made right and I continue to be made right with God based on my own effort. 
And Paul calls that a curse. And he quotes scripture to make sure you understand that it is a curse to trust in your own abilities to keep the rules. I want to make sure that you understand that because it's right here in the scriptures. He says, um, what is it? Verse 10. For anyone who relies, anyone who trusts on the works of the law are under a curse. Do you understand how heavy that is? If you think that your relationship with God rises or falls based on your performance, do you realize how many of us still fall into that? We, we sing amazing grace, but then somehow live as though it's all up to me. And what we do in the process is undermine the very relationship with God that he has established. Because we trust in our own ability to make that relationship right. Jesus died precisely because we didn't have the ability to make that relationship right. So if if we are going to be people who are going to enter into and maintain that proper marriage relationship with Jesus, that proper covenantal relationship with Jesus, it means that we enter into it based solely on trusting him, not on our own ability to perform or please him in any way. This is a really hard audience to read today. What is going on out here? Are you following this? It's, it's crucial because we, we lapse back into this religious performance mode constantly. And I, it, it, it comes up in church where people will be like, you know what? I shouldn't take communion this week because I had a bad week. You should take communion this week because you had a bad week. That's, that's why Jesus died. Don't ever separate yourself from Jesus because you had a bad week. You, you get Jesus because he had a good week. Cool. Got it. You guys are all over the map today. It's like stone faced to amen. Like, wow. Um, do you, but do you, that's just one example of how often we as Christians, when you've been a Christian long enough, suddenly we start to trust in our own performance because I'm, you know what, I'm pretty good at this religious thing, but oh, boom, I screw up and I can't pray because there's guilt and shame. And I put guilt and shame between me and Jesus. And Jesus is like, that doesn't belong there. And if you believe the guilt and the shame, you, be, you place yourself under the curse because what it means is that you now trust in your ability to be right with God, not in God's ability to make sure that everything has already been taken care of. Don't ever pass on communion again. Trust me, it breaks God's heart. Trust me, it breaks God's heart. The problem is that the Galatians have been deceived into thinking that if if we can perform religiously, we'll be the true people of God 
because the Jewish people are the true people of God, and that's where the Messiah came from. And so we have to become like them. We have to be extra religious. And, and Paul, as a Jewish person, ironically says, no, actually, um, if you want to be true children of Abraham, follow Abraham. And we all need to follow Abraham. So that's why Paul goes back to Abraham and he says, Abraham was not made right before God. Abraham didn't get a quality relationship with God because he performed. Abraham got a quality relationship with God and Abraham is described as God's friend in scripture, right? Like that's a pretty high quality relationship with God. Abraham gets friendship with God, not based on his ability to perform. Abraham gets friendship with God simply because he trusted. Simply because he trusted. No performance. And everything that Abraham followed that that comes afterwards, like um, the covenant of circumcision, all of that stuff, comes after the relationship has already been established. Those things do not establish or maintain the relationship. Rules do not establish or maintain a relationship. So look at verse six. Abraham simply trusted God. And God said, that's good enough for me. You're now righteous. That's it. Look at Hebrews 11, verse six. Without faith, without trust, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Sorry, I should have said verse eight, not verse six. I really like that verse though, because God's a rewarder. But anyway, verse eight, um, by faith, by trust, Abraham obeyed when he was called and he set out for a place that he did not know to receive an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. This is why Abraham is considered the father of faith because Abraham simply hears God's voice, trusts what he said and goes. And that's it. I mean, what else did Abraham know? Nothing. All he knew was that he could trust the one he'd heard. He knew he'd heard God and he knew he could be trusted. And if that isn't a word for Unity Baptist, then I'm not sure what is. Um, Are you hearing God? And can he be trusted? Are you personally, not just unity, are you personally hearing God? Can you hear his voice? My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. Are you one of his sheep? And you can hear his voice, but do you recognize it? So many people would say, yes, my sheep hear my voice. They don't have a sweet clue how to recognize that voice. It's frightening. How are we supposed to follow the one like Abraham? We don't recognize the voice. We have to learn to recognize it.
who sets the direction of a church? Denomination? Pastor? Congregation? Who sets the direction of a church? How are you going to know what the direction is? We have to listen. Do you have that ear? Can you recognize God's voice? How are we supposed to discern direction if we can't hear God's voice? We need to hear God's voice. What's the direction of a church? Is it what it's always been? Is it what the most majority of people want? You know, a few of you called out the Holy Spirit sets the direction. God sets the direction. How would you know the direction God is setting? Eugene Peterson, I quote this so often to our council, and I apologize, council, um, and I continue to quote it. Eugene Peterson says, the pastor's job is to call attention and pay attention to what God is doing right now between God and people. To call attention and pay attention. Pay attention and call attention to what God is doing right now between God and people. How will you know God is setting a direction? When you see him at work, when you hear his voice. We have to be people who say, I will submit my best understanding or I will submit what I want for a church to what God is saying and what God is doing. Galatians is going to make this very clear in a little bit, in another couple of chapters. It's going to talk about keeping in step with the Spirit but there's an assumption there, isn't there? The assumption is that you have an attunement and a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit such that as the Holy Spirit moves, you're able to keep in step. This is what God is calling us to, friends. Pastors don't set directions for a church. Congregations don't set directions for a church. The NAB doesn't set directions for a church. Scripture doesn't even set direction for a church. Scripture is where you test everything that scriptures, everything that we experience has to be tested against scripture. But scripture provides the, the broad boundaries. I'm not very broad. Um, scripture provides the boundaries. But we have to discern within those boundaries where the Spirit is currently moving. You understand that? We follow in that? No one sets direction for a church except God. But are we sufficiently attuned to God that we can, we can discern together that direction? It's going to take his voice, and it's going to take paying attention to the things God is currently doing. What have, what's God been currently doing here? What about the testimonies that have been up here week after week after week? 
I've started to say sometimes, uh, if you connect those dots, they form an arrow. Call attention and pay attention to what God is doing because God sets the direction of a church. Connect those dots, they will form an arrow and you will have an easier time keeping in step with the Spirit. Pastors don't set direction for a church. Congregations don't set direction for a church. Scripture doesn't even set direction for a church. The Spirit sets direction for a church, and it's our job to put up a sail and catch that wind and go in the direction he's moving. Does that make sense? It's absolutely crucial for life with God. Because we're not people who keep rules. We're, keep, we're people who have entered into a relationship, and in this relationship, I follow. But I follow wherever he's moving, and I follow whatever he's doing. Because it's not about my agenda. I lay that down. It's not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus moves to the cross. It's not my will. It's not, my, it's not the things that I had planned for Unity Baptist Church. I've been attending this church for however many years, and I had a dream for it. We submit those things to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, what do you want for this church? What's the proof for Paul that it is not by our own efforts, it's not by the law that we are justified, that we are made right with God? What's the proof? His proof that they shouldn't be going back to rules. His proof that it's not about religious routines is in verse 14. Take a look at it. His proof to them is that they have received the blessing of Abraham. And what does scripture say? is the blessing of Abraham. What's verse 14 say? The blessing of Abraham is the Holy Spirit. His proof to them that they don't need to keep rules or try to keep rules to please God is that God is so pleased with you, he already gave you the blessing. And you have the reward. And if you look at verse 2 and verse 5 of this passage, he makes the same comment. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works or by believing what you heard? You already got it. And, and then what does he say in between those two? Did you experience so much for nothing? Well, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works or by believing what you heard? Do you, do you see that the, the life was with the Spirit was meant to be, in Scripture, something that is recognizable? As opposed to simply, I have this cognitive um, factual thing that I have now received as spirit, but I have no experience of that whatsoever. All points to their experience. 
of the Holy Spirit. It's, an, it's a recognizable and interactive relationship. Do you have a recognizable and interactive relationship with the promised Holy Spirit? That's the life that Paul calls his church, Paul calls his church to. And in fact, it's so vibrant there that he points it out to them and says, you guys already got this. You're seeing it happen every week. Don't, don't miss the connection. You already got it. This is an invitation, friends. There, there is more of an interactive and relational um, experience with God there, well, there's always more. It's that simple. What I'd like to do is pause. So we've been talking about listening. I'm going to give you a chance to listen. So close your eyes and ask the Lord, Lord, it doesn't matter what Ben says. What do you want to say to me now? Let's give that a minute. Marriages are interactive, aren't they? We have entered into a covenantal relationship with Jesus where he has placed his spirit within us and among us that was meant to be recognizable and interactive. And if for you that has not yet been the case, then you need to enter into that by simply trusting, Lord, something's been missing, and I trust that you will make that up. I had to do that. It was so cognitive. I was so fed up with cognitive Christianity where the idea of holiness simply meant in accumulation of further knowledge and minimization of sin. And neither one of those map onto the marriage analogy, do they? No. It's about trust. And it's about getting to know and love the one who has put himself right into us and into our midst. And that it's, we, we receive that on the basis of what Jesus did, because he had a very good week. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. It is such a privilege and an honor to know you, Jesus. To sit around that table with you and hear you say, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And I believe you. I trust I trust you when you say that. Lord, would you make us people 
let go of the guilt and shame that comes with religion? And would you bring us back to some of those fundamental things that we are in a covenant relationship because you are good and you extended that to us? That we are in a friendship, not because we've been the best friends, but because you are the best friend. Would you make us people who live the life that Abraham lived, who set out not knowing where he was going, but he trusted the one who had spoken to him and who continued speaking to him? Would you make us people who increasingly recognize your speaking to us? My sheep hear my voice. Lord, would you make us people that as we have the privilege and may we have the privilege of sitting down across to people who have just accepted Jesus and they say, now what? And may we teach them how to keep in step with the Spirit because we trust. And may that change everything in terms of our relationship to the rules. May those rules become things that we, we keep to please you as an offering of love, not in order to earn it. Thank you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>